0: Wherever you're at, uh, welcome. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles or turn them on to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. I'm going to read uh, verses 11 to 18. And uh, while you're turning there, um, again, uh, um, if you're a guest uh, joining us, I know we've had a lot of people tuning in to uh, the, the live stream. I want to say uh, welcome. Uh, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We were going through this book prior to uh, this current crisis and um, we, we're going to finish it hopefully uh, next week um, but we just want to invite you in uh, on this study. I'm coming to you uh, this morning from the kitchen. Uh, last week we were in the living room and today we're in uh, Tony and Kimberly's kitchen. Uh, I would love to uh, do a bit of cooking and maybe a cooking show at some point but um, we're going to feast on the scriptures and uh, uh, together, Kimberly is uh, right in front of me at the table. I always say that I preach for an audience of one, and um, that's that's literally true uh, today. The one person I know is listening to me is Kimberly, and I am going to preach hard to her. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Um, I just really miss you guys. I'm going to read this text and pray, but I just want to say that uh, I hate this, uh, this live stream video, uh, stuff. And I really, I miss everything about Sundays. Um, I miss, uh, the table. I miss, uh, hugging you guys, seeing you guys. I miss walking through the lobby, uh, and greeting people. I really miss walking through childcare and, uh, playing with the little rascals in our church, um, um, we hope maybe next week um, I'll be out of quarantine and Donnie and I can be in the studio together. Um, but who knows who knows what what's going to happen um, in the next uh, week or so. Um, we have decided uh, to postpone our Song of Solomon series. Um, we're going to go from Ecclesiastes into First Peter. Um, again, nothing is certain these days, but, um, it just feels a bit strange to do Song of Songs uh, while we're not meeting together, doing it via video, uh, and uh, my hunch is we're going to have a big spike in babies over the next nine months anyway, so I don't think you guys need a little help. Um, and so we're going to kind of flatten the curve, so to speak, um, and just move into uh, that great book in First Peter uh, that, that says so much about what it means to be God's people. Um, so let me read, and I, then I want to pray. I want to pray for those who are dealing with sickness. Uh, I want to pray for uh, many in our church who are um, uncertain about their uh, employment. Uh, some of you have already lost jobs, and um, uh, we're praying for you. Um, um, uh, some of you are having uh, challenges parenting. Um, I want to pray that we would use our time wisely as uh, these days um Uh, our breeding ground for a lot of various temptations. And so let's use our time wisely and to God's glory. Uh, And I want to pray that we can just stay connected as as best as we can um, during this time. So let's uh, read the text and I want to pray for those things. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent no favor to those with knowledge but time and chance happen to them all for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them i've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me there was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be connected uh, in this way. We miss uh, being physically present with one another. Uh, And we are reminded that we are made for community during these times. And we are reminded of the privilege of meeting together physically. Uh, as we do week by week when we're not in these kinds of circumstances. Um, and so we pray that today as we study your word, um, you would come and have your way in our hearts. Uh, our hearts are heavy as we think about those who have died during this pandemic. Um, we grieve, Lord. We, we long for all things to be made new. We pray for those who are dealing with illness, uh, this, this virus, I pray, Father, you protect our people uh, from this virus. I pray that you would keep us free from illness. We pray as well uh, today, Father, for those who are dealing with the uncertainty of their job. I pray, Father, that you would grant them great peace. We pray that you would provide. We pray that you would provide for those who have already lost their jobs. Lord, I just pray for, again, a a settled sense of, of trust in you, that's what we all need in our hearts today. We need, we need greater trust, as the hymn says, oh, for grace to trust him more. Help us to trust you, that you, to believe that you are trustworthy. Pray for those who are parenting. Pray for children. Pray for all the little kids today. If they're hearing me, watching me, we pray for you to work the good news of the gospel into their hearts. I pray that our kids would grow up and love Jesus and they would seek to follow him at a young age and they would be a delight to their parents. Pray for parents that you would grant them mercy, grant them grace, grant them wisdom as they parent children. I pray for those who may be alone during this time, uh, whether they're young, middle-aged, old. you know that isolation is, um, it brings a lot of challenges, temptations. Uh, it can lead us to bad places. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be the church uh, to one another during these times. If we know of those who are lonely, isolated, we would be quick to reach out to them and welcome them and, and and try to serve them as best as we can. We pray today for those who, Lord, who just have more time on their hands than normal. We know that boredom can also be a, a place where the enemy gets a foothold. Help us to to use our time wisely, to use it to your glory. We pray, Father, uh, as well, that you would help us in this time to keep our eyes on Jesus, to try to stay connected to each other as best as we can. Help us to learn today from your word that we may be wise, that we may trust you. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, these are interesting days, to say the least. Someone said this week, in an unsettling reversal of my teenage years, I am now yelling at my parents for going out. <laughs> That's very Ecclesiastes, isn't it? Uh, Proverbs deals with generalizations, things that are normally true. Um, Ecclesiastes deals with exceptions. It it deals with uh, some of the uh, things that perplex us in life. Uh, it, it it helps us to uh, process. Um, Things that happen that we think shouldn't happen, things that are not fair, um, complex things, things that perplex us, that's Ecclesiastes. It deals with frustration, it deals with disappointment. All of this under this phrase in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, and we right now are dealing with the effects of living in a fallen world uh, with this uh, virus, with this crisis. I've had pastors email me this week who know that we've been going through Ecclesiastes and I think uh, many of them have uh, picked up on the idea that this is a wonderful book to actually be studying during this season uh, that we're in. It's a good book to study at any point uh, in our lives, but uh, I'm really struck by the relevance of it in this particular moment. We have uh, been made aware throughout the study of the unpredictability of life, the uncertainty of life. And if there is a word that captures the moment in which we live, it is that word, isn't it? Uncertainty or unpredictability. Um, Our our frustrations uh, with the inability to plan um, uh, really frustrate us, especially if you're like me and you are a planner. How many of you have thrown your plans in the trash? Uh, or you have planned, and then uh, there is a new announcement made, and you have to plan again. And um, that's where we're at. Every event in the spring, for me, has been canceled. Uh, We have changed sermon series. Um, We uh, don't expect to be meeting uh, in the month of April as a church, corporately, physically, physically. Um, And again, everything has has changed. The gym is closed. I'm out here lifting sandbags in the garage, uh, trying to uh, not uh, gain a bunch of weight during the uh, coronavirus. Uh, And so that's where we're at. And some of you uh, have, as I mentioned, already lost jobs. You're dealing with the uncertainty of the future. I know some were planning on actually moving and that has been uh, called into question now. Uh, And again, we just get a new notification, it seems, every day. And so this is where we're at, uncertainty. And this is Ecclesiastes. Uh, And so what what do we do during this time? Well, Ecclesiastes tells us in the passage, we just read, that time and chance happen to us all and man does not know his time. We just don't know. We don't know the future. We don't know. The day of our death, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but through all of this, we are called to trust the Lord. As Proverbs 3, 5 says, to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. As one church member uh, told me this week, uh, the question that just keeps coming to his mind is the Lord asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Well, we're gonna look at that again, uncertainty. Uh, The other reality that we've looked at in the book of Ecclesiastes that we see pop up again is the tragedy of death or the inevitability uh, of death. We uh, watch the numbers rise uh, with deaths in our country. Uh, I have friends in Italy and it is a catastrophe uh, in Italy and Ecclesiastes forces us to think about death and we've talked about throughout our study the need for wisdom. And that also is incredibly relevant for our time. Parents need wisdom. Uh, Bosses need wisdom. Leaders need wisdom. The country needs wisdom. The world needs wisdom. Uncertainty, death, wisdom. This is not your favorite news channel. This is Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Written over 3,000 years ago, but extremely relevant, indeed eternally relevant. And one would think that we picked this book knowing we were about to go into a pandemic, but none of us are that smart. God has had us here and I'm glad he has had us here. And I pray that this study has helped you endure these days with a certain sense of peace of mind, of, with self-control, with wisdom, and with confident trust in the Lord's sovereignty and with gratitude for the Lord's goodness so the three points I want you to see in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 are those that I've just mentioned now number one life is unpredictable number two death is inevitable number three wisdom is valuable life is unpredictable death is inevitable and wisdom is valuable and we'll ask the question at the end where do we go and where do we look in these with these things in mind. So first of all, life is unpredictable. Just one verse uh, here under uh, this first point in verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not for the swift. And all the slow people said, amen. Nor the battle to the, I'm just amen in myself. I'm trying to get one out of Kimberly back here. Uh, Nor is the battle for the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. And I don't know if you've ever asked the question or or made the uh, the, uh, the, the statement before, Uh, you never know. You never know, and that's what verse 11 is talking about. We've already seen that sometimes the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. Sometimes the righteous die early deaths. Uh, Life is very unpredictable. And now the, the teacher adds to this that your abilities are no guarantee of success. Usually, yes, all the time, no. Again, because Ecclesiastes is dealing with exceptions. Ask any team that has ever upset a better team, right? Usually this this time of year, we're talking about Cinderella teams, Uh, teams that beat teams that are, are better than them. And now we're watching replays of Cinderella teams, aren't we? The teacher is saying that while it is usually true that uh, those with greater abilities win, it's not always true. The fastest runners usually win the race, but not always. Think of the tortoise and the hare. Uh, The strongest strongest soldiers usually win the battle, but not always. Think of David and Goliath. Think of Gideon and the Midianites. Think of Rocky and Clubber Lane. Sometimes the guy who's been working out in the gym like an animal goes to the bar and gets knocked out by the truck driver Who lands a good sucker punch, right? The brightest and most skillful people usually get the best jobs, but not always They usually make the most money, but not always think of reality TV stars They're not making money usually because of their of their brilliance Sometimes the job goes to a less qualified person because the boss is showing some kind of favoritism. So in summary here, he's saying that human ability is no guarantee of success. And what he says then is time and chance happen to them all. Life's unpredictable. Time and chance happen to them all. What does that mean? Well, we, we don't believe in the pagan idea of chance or luck. We don't, we don't believe in that. We might say that just to some kind of uh, cultural gesture, but we don't believe in uh, anything that is random and a maverick and, and that, is, that involves chance. We believe in Ephesians 1.11 that God is working all things out according to the counsel of his will, even right now. So everything that we are dealing with today is under God's sovereign rule. We should never put that in question, no matter how bad our circumstances are. That's the heart of faith, to believe that God is working out all things according to the counsel of his will. The teacher here is not denying God's sovereignty. The teacher is simply viewing life under the sun. And so to believe in God's sovereignty, you have to think about oh, something over the sun, don't you? But under the sun, it just looks like luck or chance. How did that team beat that team? Why why did that person not get that job? Why did that preacher not get that big church, right? Time and chance happened to them all. It looks like chance, it looks like luck. Think about, for example, uh, Ruth chapter two, I think it's verse three, where Ruth just, the writer says, happened to be in the field of Boaz. It just looks like from the human eye, uh, this sort of thing just just uh, luckily happened. And the reason the author is saying that it feels like time and chance happened to us all is because we don't know what God is doing. We don't know. We've said that over and over in this series. The writer has brought this up. We, j- we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. What we do know is the character of God. And the character of God is wise and good and just and sovereign so what this means verse 11 is you may be really smart and gifted but struggle financially or you may not be smart (laughs) or gifted and make a whole lot of money somehow you might just be in the right place at the right time as we say sometimes the best army doesn't win Sometimes Evansville beats Kentucky. Sometimes Lehigh beats Duke. Sometimes UMBC beats Virginia. Life is very unpredictable. What we've learned so far is that for everything, there there, there is a time under heaven and that the Lord will make everything beautiful in its time. We rest in that. We rest in the fact that what we looked at last week, that we are in God's hand. So we walk by faith according to God's word, enjoying the moments of life that we have, living in reverence before our God with wholehearted trust in him. Life is unpredictable. Number two, death is inevitable. That also is just there in one verse. I want you to see, for man does not know his time. It's inevitable, but death also is unpredictable because we do not know our time. And he illustrates the unpredictability of the day of our death and the the inevitability of death with two images from nature of fish and birds. He says, like fish that are taken in an evil net, right? He's not saying you fishermen are evil, Um, but that this day, this, this getting trapped, getting caught by death is like a fish that gets caught. If a fish knew that uh they were going to die by swimming into this net or if, if they knew there was a hook on the other end of that bait they wouldn't take it but they get caught like a bird that's caught in a snare so the children of man are snared at an evil time our time is coming he's saying just like that fish our time is coming we the net will come for us we will fly into that snare this death this trap is unavoidable and he calls it an evil because it is a result of the fall isn't it the day of our death the events of life will one day be over we won't be able to escape we don't know when that time will be therefore the big question the haunting question the all-important question is are you ready to die question is not will we die but are we ready to die Now, if you're a Christian, we don't have to fear death. We don't look forward to death because we're human beings. But we don't have to fear death because Jesus has conquered death for us. We know a better story than the teacher in Ecclesiastes because we have the whole Bible. The Bible doesn't end in Ecclesiastes. It ends in Revelation. We read in Revelation chapter 1, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is alive, and those who are in him will live forever, and because of this glorious reality, life is not vanity. Now, if you're listening to this, or watching this, and you're not a Christian, how do you plan on beating death? Jesus said this in John 8, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, you will die in your sins. If you're not a Christian, recognize that God is being merciful to you right now in giving you another day of life, giving you an opportunity to repent and believe in Christ and have life. We, we all recognize the the. the the the, uh, the in this crisis that we're in the, the the frailty of life of of the the brevity of life of the fallenness of this world look at your life look at this life and trust in Jesus to have life forevermore life is unpredictable death is inevitable number 3 wisdom is valuable Now this point extends all the way through and it runs all the way through um, the the book of Ecclesiastes, but you see the word pop up again and again and again in this section as the writer is teaching us to avoid folly. The word folly appears uh, nine times in uh, chapter 10 um, and you see how the writer is saying basically this, that life is unpredictable, death is inevitable, so what do we do, right? Do we just throw our hands up in despair? And the answer is no. We, we look to God for wisdom. And uh, this section's a bit hard to arrange, but um, I think you could study them under six subjects. Okay? He says, first of all, that wisdom is powerful and effective. Verses 13 to 18, so the rest of chapter 9, wisdom, he's showing us the value of wisdom. It's powerful and effective. Then he says in chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, that wisdom is ruined by a little bit of folly. Okay. Thirdly, he says that wisdom is needed in leadership. This is verses four to seven. And um, now that theme, though, runs all the way through chapter 10. There's a big emphasis on the king upon leadership. And that is that should make sense because leaders need wisdom. And then in verses eight to 11 of chapter 10, he talks about how wisdom is needed in practical situations. So everyday life. Verses 12 to 15, he says that wisdom is needed in our speech. And then to round out the chapter in chapter 10, verses 16 to 20, I'm just saying that wisdom is needed in all of life because he basically touches on themes he already touched on prior to uh, those verses. Okay. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these because there are many and we're we're well into uh, our time now but let me, uh, let me highlight them for you. Number one, wisdom is powerful and effective. He makes a point by giving us a very cool example and then by uh, doing one of those better than uh, comparisons that wisdom is better than the alternatives, okay? So the example here in verse 13, um, I've seen an example of wisdom under the sun. It seemed great to me. So have a look at this. This is a great example of the value of wisdom. There's a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. So wisdom can bring remarkable victory. That's what he's saying. We have this little guy who teaches us a big lesson. This little man with his wisdom delivers the city. Now we're not told how he delivered the city, but that through wisdom, He was able to uh, lead his uh, people to remarkable victory. Some biblical examples come to mind. Uh, One of them would be Hezekiah, who had uh, the Assyrian empire coming down upon him, and he, by wisdom, sought God in prayer. And that is a great place for us to begin a life of wisdom, isn't it? Poor wise men uh, sought the Lord in prayer. Sometimes one wise person can save an entire city. Now, tragically, we're told that um, no one remembered this guy though. <laughs> so, um, we're not told how he delivered the city. Part of the reason is nobody remembered him, um, but that he delivered the city. This is another fact of life. The wise are not always remembered. Remember uh, Joseph, how the butler forgot about Joseph uh, when, uh, to, uh, when Joseph helped him get out of prison. Uh, so the verse is, is telling us here that uh, you, by your wisdom, may not be remembered. You may not be praised. You may not be famous. But it is still to be pursued because it's valuable. It, it, it uh, is effective. It can bring remarkable victory. I mean, think about the things you use every day. Do you know who invented them? Uh, probably not. I don't with no baseball on television. I've been making my wife watch, um, Ken Burns baseball documentary because she needs to know who the founders of this great game, uh, was, um, most legends are forgotten. Some are remembered. Uh, the same is true in the world of of medicine, right? Of military, of travel, but we still pursue it. Now he says in verses 16 to 18, that wisdom is better than the alternatives. Uh, The words of the wise heard, excuse me, verse uh, 16, but I say wisdom is better than might, though a poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So it's better than might. It's not always recognized, though, because the poor man's wisdom sometimes is despised. Uh, The previous example shows that the people listen to the wise man, but that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they despise wisdom. Nevertheless, wisdom is better than might. He goes on to say that the wise listen to the wise. This is a good uh, case study on whether or not you're wise. Who do you listen to? Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. What a verse. This leader shouts, he's a loudmouth leader, and he feeds the flesh of people. Just because you're loud doesn't mean you should be the leader or that you are wise. I thought about that uh, classic example. Some of you um, um, are old enough to remember, was it Khrushchev who took his shoe off during that meeting and was slamming it down on uh, the table in protest. Um, a loudmouth leader. The loudest voice is not always the wisest voice, and you see this in various spheres, don't you? Sometimes in churches, the people uh, people want to throw their weight around and and uh, control things, and they end up dividing churches uh, because they've got a loud voice and they they overtake those who um, are more quiet. Um, the same would be true in a in a marriage, right? Proud and angry husbands destroy marriages, or in governmental uh, spheres of life, uh, these kinds of leaders can destroy countries. The wise are often quiet. It's not the loud word that always moves people. It's the wise word that moves people. Perhaps you've been in a meeting before and you've got a couple of guys who are like bulls in China shop and they're just dominating the meeting. And all of a sudden this one little person says something and it is it is so on point you're like i'm making that my next tattoo can you say that again it was brilliant a wise word quiet word you don't have to be a loud mouth to be a good leader you don't have to be a loud mouth to be a good coach or a good preacher right verse 18 he adds to this better than saying wisdom is better than the weapons of war but one sinner destroys much good. Now he's not saying that there's not a time to go to war. He's not saying that there is not a usefulness for weapons, but he's saying that wisdom is better than weapons. And he adds there by that last phrase that one sinful individual can ruin wisdom, which leads into his next point in chapter 10 verses one to three. It doesn't take much folly to ruin wisdom. One foolish council member can ruin wisdom. One foolish team member can do great damage. So wisdom is powerful and effective, and we should pursue wisdom, and we should listen to the wise. Now in verse chapter 10, verses one to three, he says that wisdom is ruined by a little bit of folly. Dead flies make the perf- the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. <laughs> I don't know if you've said during this time that we're in, this stinks. Well, now you've got a verse, right? That one little bit of folly, one little bit of 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 problem he says here uh, can cause things to stink. Just a little bit of folly, a little bit of foolishness, one bad decision, one unrepentant person, one harsh word can spoil everything. So be wise and stay away from folly, that's the point. Verse two is uh, the favorite verse for a lot of political conservatives, a wise man's heart Inclines him to the right But a fool's heart to the left (laughs) Um, Or in baseball, you know, we talk about how being left-handed is the advantage uh, But here left-handed is the negative in in the Bible the right symbolized strength It represented uh, might it represented salvation You see this in a number of places Jacob for example crossed his arms and places right hand on Ephraim's head as a symbol of greater blessing. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father. At the final judgment, the sheep will be put on the right and the goats on the left. Um, so going to the left here is a sign, a symbol of going the wrong way. The right is a sign of living uh, the wise life. And the reason one is choosing the wise life is in the heart, right? A fool's heart inclines to the left. So we go the wrong direction when our hearts love the wrong things. And this is a big emphasis in the Bible, right? The out of the heart flow the springs of life. So my friends, during this time, guard your heart, um, cultivate devotion with the Lord, go to him in prayer, go to him and in, in the word. Many today are looking for direction without giving attention to their hearts. So make sure your heart is in a good place before you make decisions. Verse 3 is a typical mark of a fool. He or she actually thinks he or she is wise. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. (laughs) So the only person who doesn't realize this person is foolish is the fool himself. So avoid being this person. Wisdom is powerful and effective. Wisdom is ruined by a little bit of folly. Number three, wisdom is needed in leadership. Verse four, he says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So the first thing he pops up here is, or and he's gonna see, you'll see this in verses five and seven, is really foolish leadership. So wisdom is needed in leadership because leaders can be foolish. They can be angry. Here uh, speaks of a ruler that has a, uh, this, this temper that can just lose control. And so how do you deal with a foolish leader? And the text tells us carefully, calmly. A quiet response turns away wrath. Proverbs 20, the terror of the king is like a growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. I don't know if that's where we got the the, the phrase right, don't poke the bear, Uh, don't poke the lion. Uh, It's not right that the king act this way, but it's reality. And so the the proper way to respond is with gentleness, with graciousness. Uh, Proverbs 25 verse 15, with patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. So we respond in these situations with the character of Christ. We respond by de- displaying the fruit of the spirit. Now he's not condoning you know, abuse uh, that can never be uh, accepted. He's talking about just this loud angry leader and he will not be influenced if you respond back in anger. Instead, we are to put on the character of Christ. First Peter, we're going to uh, look at that a lot, how we are to live as Christians in this world as Christians are more and more marginalized um, to the edges. Uh, he says, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. That's what First Peter uh, two thirteen to 15 says talks about we're to follow the example of Jesus. In verse five, he gives some examples of foolish leadership. Again, the reason we need good, uh, we need to be wise in leadership is because uh, we can, here's the example, put the wrong people in leadership. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So he's saying basically that the people that are put in high places are the people that should not be there. And the king has put them there because the king lacks wisdom. The king has the wrong advisors. The king is listening to the wrong people. Uh, A biblical example of this is Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12, where he's got some older wise counselors around him, but he doesn't listen to them. And he listens to his young friends instead, uh, and it leads the kingdom into division because he didn't like what the older counselors were saying to him. Now don't get uh, too caught up there on the poor and the slave. He's not saying that the poor cannot be wise or in leadership. He's already said that there is a poor wise man who delivered a city. Uh, And we've already mentioned Joseph as an example of one who was in slavery who arose to leadership. It's a generalization. It's a statement about how those who are wise put qualified people in leadership and they listen to uh, the right voices. If you're a leader, you need to be wise. Now, the fourth subject here is that wisdom is needed in practical situations. And this is, this is quite a little section uh, in verses 8 to 11, where he gets really down to earth. And the writer talks about four accidents that could happen to us. <laughs> Especially if we're doing some yard work during uh, the, the time at home, if we have extra time at home, right? Uh, he says in verse 8, you could dig a pit in order to capture an animal, but fall into it yourself. I don't know how many of us are actually trying to catch an animal in a pit. Uh, (laughs) Maybe we will be. Who knows, right? Uh, He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. So you've got the first example here where he says, here's a guy. He goes out. He digs a pit. He's trying to catch dinner. And he forgot that he covered that pit up with whatever it was, leaves or something. And he himself fell into his own pit. And the point is uh, safety first. Uh, take proper precautions. Okay. And then the second one is with this snake, right? A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Now that sounds strange to us. If I punch this wall, I'm not expecting a snake on the other side. (laughs) Uh, but you got to think about this is ancient Israel stone. Everything's there stones everywhere. Uh, homes are built out of stones. Uh, fences and so on so if you're moving stone maybe to make your house bigger or you're moving a fence line uh, if you if you're not careful uh, serpents uh, lodged in these stone uh, these stone walls that you could get bit uh, by this snake so again it's just an example of of wisdom be cautious be careful the third example of a possible accident is if you try to move heavy equipment you might get hurt by it he says, he who quarries stones is hurt by them. And then there's the fourth example, he who splits logs is endangered by them. If you are a logger, that's a dangerous occupation. And there are a number of ways you could get hurt uh, in logging. I haven't done it, but uh, it looks dangerous. Uh, your your ax head could fly off and hit you in the face. Uh, Trees could fall on you. And so in each of these examples he's saying, and he might even have the leaders in mind that forget that they're still human beings, which is a real uh, temptation, right, for those who are in leadership to think that the stuff of life really doesn't affect them. They they can sort of fly angelically over uh, these these sorts of things. And he's basically saying, no pal, you're still a human being. You too could still get bit by a snake and die. You too could fall into a pit Uh, and so on so he's saying here that we need wisdom in practical situations now in verses 10 to 11 he carries that forward and he says that the wise by contrast avoid dumb mistakes so verse 10 he says if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed so he says here here's a foolish worker he is working she is working hard but the, the, uh, the worker has not stopped to sharpen uh, the, uh, the blade. The iron is blunt. And so uh, you're working harder, but you need to work smarter, as we say. Work smarter, not harder. And like a butter knife is a great tool. Like I used one this morning to put butter on my toast. Um, but you don't use a butter knife to cut a tree down, do you? Um, And so he's saying, be wise, be smart, be prepared. Now, if you take this principle and think through it in the rest of life, it has a lot of application, doesn't it? Uh, Phil Riken says this, if we are wise, therefore we will take the time to prepare our blade. This principle applies to education. Be sure to get the best training, sharpening skills for effective service in the kingdom of God. It applies to relationships. A prudent courtship is far more likely to lead to a more successful marriage than a whirlwind romance. It applies to ministry. Before starting something new, like planting a church, make sure that you have everything you need to succeed. So he's talking here about preparation. Wisdom helps you succeed. Okay, verse 11. He uses another example, and this is of a snake. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now this sounds very strange to us. Now we're into snake charming. I mean, what kind of church is this? Um, I I imagine most of you did not have a minor in snake charming when you were in college, but uh, this was apparently a, a, a big deal. And the problem here is that the snake charmer is treating this snake like a pet and not as a serpent that can kill him. And he's trying to, the, the snake charmer, What you know, Are they're trying to control the snake, not die by the snake. But if you wait too long to charm it, it will get you. And so this verse is actually making the opposite point of the previous verse. The previous verse says, be wise, be cautious, be prepared. Right? Take your time, be prepared, get studied up, uh, you know. Um, work smarter not harder now this point is saying act quickly (laughs) because if you're a snake charmer you've got to charm quickly or you die quickly so the point here in verses um, 10 and 11 is sometimes we need to act slowly cautiously and then also at times we have to make decisions immediately it requires immediate action and wisdom Helps us to do that. We know when we should be slow to make a decision, and we know when we should urgently make a decision. We need wisdom in all of life, in practical situations. Okay, number five, we need wisdom in our speech. Verses 12 to 15, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool consume him. So the lips of a fool here is, is a description of destructive words. We can destroy people with our words. But the wise person wins favor because gracious words fit the occasion gracious words bring life Jesus again is the model of wisdom in every way and Jesus always had the right words I love Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 it's one of those uh, servant passages and it says of the servant that is Jesus the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary That's what Jesus's word does it sustains us when we're weary And I just want to put that exhortation out to us that during this time that the Lord would use us to speak Life-giving words to one another maybe text email whatever it is that we would help to sustain one another uh, in our weariness Isaiah 50 verse 4 The fool uses irrational words verse 13 the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness that is he makes no sense he would be better off being quiet in the words of Titus 110 many are empty talkers (laughs) so destructive words irrational words verse 14 unrestrained words a fool multiplies his words the fool is just full of words but saying nothing we could sing it together you talk too much You never shut up. I said you talk too much. This is the fool. Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing his opinions. And then finally, he says the fool uses boastful words. Though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The message uh, paraphrases verse 14b as chattering stuff they know nothing about. So boastful words, they talk as if they know certain things or that they're in control of certain things. And when it comes to the future, we need to remember James 4. We say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. The reality is the fool cannot even get to the city. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city, perhaps because he won't stop talking long enough to read the road signs. And so wisdom is needed in our words. And then finally, to just sort of summarize it up in verses 16 to 20, wisdom is needed in all of life. And he recaps the, the, the same kinds of topics. So verses 16 and 17 is leadership, 18 and 19 is practical situations, 20 is speech again. So in leadership, it requires wisdom. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child or your prince's feast in the morning. child here is a reference to maturity verse 17 happy are you O land when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness and so real leaders lead the country to blessing and they don't use resources for their own selfish purposes for uh, drunkenness for partying for indulgence but rather they use the resources for strengthening them for the task. That's what the wise do. Now, verses 18 and 19, another uh, couple of examples of practical life that requires wisdom. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. <laughs> and through indolence, the house leaks. And so one reason you experience loss or disaster in practical situations is sloth, laziness. The fool ignores responsibility. The foolish person is the lazy person. It's not the wise person. And one reason you need to work, practically speaking, is to have, as the text says here, bread, wine, and money. He says, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. (laughs) So, you need to work because you need bread you need to you need He's basically you need necessities and if you want to enjoy the pleasures of life as well then the wise person goes to work Um, money obviously has limitations we've talked about that throughout this study we trust in God today and not money we do not we dare not put our trust our security in money but practically speaking by working hard and making money we get our necessities we get Uh, uh, to enjoy the pleasures of life. And so this is one of the way God governs the world. This is one of the way providence works. He works through employment. He works through uh, jobs and factories and industry and so on. And so the wise person goes to work and the wise person uh, uh, is able to uh, have necessities, enjoy certain pleasures. Even more, money can help us advance the kingdom of God. It is the answer to everything in in some ways as it pertains to um, sustaining churches and sending missionaries and planting churches. And so um, we need to remember that as well. The final verse you may have thought I would never get there is verse 20. And he says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king or the preacher while you're listening to him. Don't curse the king. Once again, another uh, example of living under a monarchy. Um, We're living in different times, but this verse is very relevant. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. So again, we are to honor the king that's been taught to us in the book. Michael Eaton says of this verse, this verse challenges us challenges us to remain calm in days of national sloth, immaturity, and indulgence. And it calls for a submissive approach to authority, giving an expedient reason for obedience. So gossiping, uh, cursing, slandering can get one in deep trouble, especially in a time of monarchy like this. Um, you, you would not do the kinds of things that are done on talk radio today or in popular media that, and it won't fly in certain countries. Even today, uh, this verse should say something to us. I think about how we use social media and how we speak of individuals. In fact, there's even a little bird there. So you got a little Twitter verse, uh, that's mentioned, right? (laughs) So use it honorably, use your words honorably, um, And regarding our speech in general, we need to remember that it doesn't take much for the whole world to know about something, right? And if that's true in this day, um, how much more now? And we hear things, people hear things. We even use the phrase, I don't know if it came out of Ecclesiastes, a little birdie told me. 'How, How did you know that? I told my kids yesterday, you know your mom knows everything about you because she spies on you. And I know everything about you because she tells me, right? Um, uh, We don't know everything and they know that. And that's why I pray a lot. Um, So be careful what you say. One email. How many of you, this has happened before you sent the email, you shouldn't have sent it. One text can do great damage. The point is use wisdom in your words. Through these final verses, verses 16 to 20, again, you see that top point that wisdom is effective and powerful and that a little folly ruins wisdom. So my friends, let me summarize now before we have a couple more songs. Life is unpredictable. We know that Ecclesiastes is confirming that. Death is inevitable and wisdom is valuable. So the question is, where do we go in light of these truths? Where do we go for wisdom? And the answer is Jesus. Who does the whole world need today? The whole world needs Jesus Christ. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our wisdom. The wisest decision you could ever make is to believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ never made one foolish decision. He was the poor wise man who delivered the people from disaster by doing something that no one could ever imagine, dying and rising from the dead. That's the wisdom of God. The cross looks like, Paul says, foolishness, but it is God's plan for salvation. Our king has made a way for us to have peace in the midst of uncertainty. And our king has done that by conquering death through the resurrection, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is under the sun, we are of all people most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We have hope in the midst of this disease, in the faces of of uncertainty and on the brink of death because Jesus Christ is alive and reigning. Jesus was the ultimate son of nobility who came to earth to rescue us and now gives us strength for service and promises us a feast to come. He is the king who rules the cosmos with wisdom. So we don't curse our king in quiet. But we bless him for his grace. To the only wise king be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray, church. Father, give us wisdom, we pray. You tell us that you give it to those who ask for it and we need it in these days. And we look to Jesus Christ, the embodiment of wisdom, to be wisdom for us to give us the mind of heaven, to walk in your ways to your glory. We're grateful today that our hope is not in this life only, but we look for life beyond the grave and we have it with confidence because we know we have been united to Jesus Christ. And because we are in Christ, life is not vanity. I pray you would help us to keep our eyes on the savior in these days. In Jesus name we pray everybody said amen